hands were somewhat empty with y'all up here, and I only saw one not up here. So, but I think his little one's holding him down. So, it's all right. So, I know he can sing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we could come together today. We thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the many great men and women in this church and the children and ask, Lord, that you would guide uh, us to understand and see clearly where we are standing at this moment in our relationship with you and that our love for you would only grow stronger day by day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I pray, Lord, as we we hurry through this passage that uh, the important truths that will be remembered and grasped and able to be applied will be what each one here would would um, remember and take home with them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn back to Revelation chapter 2, and we're not going to have as much time as we should have to go through this passage. There's a lot of little details that we can get done or go over that we may not get done or go over, and so I encourage you to just get a good uh, perspective of it, and if you have any questions, we can look over it. Hopefully, you've had some Sunday school classes where you've been able to study these passages on, get a better grasp of them. But we do have a privilege to look back upon a very famous place, both biblically and historically. We have um, here uh, in the first letter from the Lord Jesus, who has the seven stars in his right hand and walks uh, among the seven lampstands. We have here this first verse, and it, it is to say, remember who is speaking to you. Jesus, who is the one who controls all, is the Lord of his churches. Jesus, who has all power, is intimately concerned about his church. And he will do what is necessary to build his church. And therefore, I believe we can apply the fact that he will do what is necessary to build his local churches, not just a universal church. This letter is, is to the church at Ephesus. It is to the, the angel, or as Robert L. Thomas writes in his commentary, these were moral representatives, so to speak, who as individuals epitomized the conditions of the churches they represented. Hence, each letter is addressed to the church's representative, not directly to the church itself, but this representative was... That's the end quote. This representative was to relay the message and ensure that the message was received so that they would respond properly. And so to sum up the message to Ephesus, I believe we could say the love, that we are to love the Lord with great passion. We are to love the Lord with great passion. This should drive us forward as a, as a church if we have a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the 
test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. We find here there's, when we look at this passage and as we consider that we are to love the Lord with great passion, which should propel us forward as a church family, that there are four key points stressed in this first letter to the seven churches. And so we're going to dive into uh, all of these briefly. (laughs) But the first one I want to dive into is the commendation here in verses 1 through 3 and as well verse 6. And here we find that the Lord started the letter to Ephesus with this positive statement, I know, (laughs) I know the good things that you are doing. I know all that you do. Isn't it great that the Lord Jesus knows? If we go back and look at the vision, we see that he has flaming eyes (laughs) piercing through the conduct not only of individuals, but each individual church as he walks among the seven golden lampstands showing that he's intimately involved. Jesus is involved. But we have here this commendation. He knows it's a good thing. Here to begin with, what does he know? Here we find that, well, they continued to serve. They continued to serve. We find here the first word, I know what? Your deeds. Some, some translations works, but deeds. They have continued to do what they ought to do in the service to the Lord. The New Living Translation says the things that you do. I know the things that you do. <laughs> what they are doing. The second word there. And your toil, in my translation. That is, they live sacrificially. It should be a word that's labor, a word that includes laborious work. And some translations say deeds and then works. These works are, include labor or toil. Because the Greek word comes from a word that, that can mean mourn or the beating of the breast as in mourning. It is a hard sacrificial labor. We also find not only uh, not only were they living sacrificially, serving steadfastly, but in all of their things, in all of the that they were doing doctrinally, they were steadfast. Your toil and your perseverance. Perseverance, that is, or steadfast endurance. In following the Lord, they pressed on in all things. I think it's important for us to remember in the empire, Roman Empire, there was great persecution taking place. Um, Not sure quite how bad it was in Ephesus at this time. Uh, But no matter how great... A hold on Ephesus, the empire had in persecuting Christians. Ephesus was still a pagan place, which still worshipped Artemis. 
It was a very hedonistic and immoral place, and yet they were steadfast in following the Lord Jesus Christ. And they remained separate. Here it goes on to talk about what they were having to deal with as well as with a a culture that was um, anti-biblical, anti-morals. They were dealing with false teaching of the Nicolaitans. They tested these teachers to see if what they taught held up to the gospel. Now, what about these Nicolaitans? We'll, we'll look at them later when another church. Um, there's a lot of things we can say about them, but one key or a couple of key points is that they taught that it was good and proper and a part of their faith and the Christian faith that it was okay and good to be immoral or licentious. There's three thoughts on who the Nicolaitans could be, but all of them point to the truth of false teaching of licentious living. Here we find that these people were proclaiming to be apostles, not the 12 apostles, but apostles, therefore, with the authority to teach and preach and say what God says. And they found that they were not, but that these men were teaching what was contrary to what Jesus taught and to what John taught and Paul taught. And I mentioned John and Paul because they had had a part in Ephesus many years ago. John still, except for he's on Patmos, right, as he writes this. But they remain separate from the culture and separate in right teaching. And there's more we should say about this. We'll come back later and revisit this at some point. So these are our great commendations for the church in Ephesus. They are solid, theologically thinking, fervent serving, set apart from bad teaching and preaching church. How about that? They have the right thinking and therefore great commendation. But there is a serious caution coming up. And that caution reminds us that we are to love the Lord Jesus regardless of how fervent we have stood upon the word of God. And so after diving into the commendation, we have the negatives or a negative but crucial point. And so we have the condemnation in verse 4. Uh, I want to point out, before I move any farther forward, I wanted to point out verse 6, where he says, Lord Jesus says, Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Probably should get into that a little bit more. The deeds that they do is hated by the Lord and the church. The deeds. And so they were able to distinguish between what is wrong and right and do what is right. But here their condemnation, verse 4. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. That is, their love has waned. You know, like a waning moon, that means it's growing smaller and smaller and you get the little, little sliver of the moon, right? 
They have left their first love. They have allowed their love for the Lord, for the Lord Jesus to wane or weaken. And, and you know, New Living Translation ha- says it this way, you do not love me or each other. I think it's specifically speaking about Jesus. The love for the Lord Though, the Lord Jesus Christ will drive us to have a love for each other, for other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we know in John, 1 John 2, 7, that we're to have love for the brethren. 2 John 1, 5 says, Now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning that we love one another that we love one another a new commandment that first john 2 7 is to love one another matthew 22 35 and following right love the lord your god with all your soul with all your heart and mind right and then love your neighbor as yourself Matthew 24, 12 says uh, here, but before I get to that, so I don't think they're stretching it too far, but I I like the straight across translation here from any of the translations that that say you have left your first love. Matthew 24, 12 says, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And so we not only see a love for the Lord grow cold, but the love for one another grow cold. And in our culture today, we have seen some major issues this week, haven't we? As a nation continues to embrace secular humanism and turning away from a true and pure religion or doctrine or understanding of the Word of God or of morality that is a Judeo-Christian values, we see more and more hate crimes, not hate crimes, mass, horrendous, senseless killings. Right? I mean, they've always existed. But as you see people turn away from the Lord, I believe there's going to be more and more fallout. Not because of the accessibility of weapons, but because of the coldness of people's hearts. Towards God and towards one another. So the relationship here, this this condemnation is that the relationship is lacking. They know what to believe. They know where where or what to stand on. They know what to stand on and where to stand. But they do not love Jesus like they should. And so there's a challenge for us. There, There must be a relationship of walking with him being filled and led by the Spirit. We want to be a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led church. Completely and totally in love with the Lord Jesus and an intimate relationship with Him daily. Walvard says, the problem of these readers was not a, a lack of faith in Christ or of yieldedness to Him. For some reason, the ardor they had once exhibited had simply grown cold. Of course, i got to quote Wearsby, right? He's always got some, I mean, he just words things really well. What 
What we do for the Lord is important, but so is why we do it. Why we do what we do. Right? You know, there, I read about two young ladies many, many, many years ago working in a textile mill. Side by side, hard work. Uh, the one lady got a job, moved away. Uh, back on vacation, I don't know, maybe back home to visit family. Probably not a vacation. She ran into her friend from the textile mill and said, Oh, well, how's work going? And the lady from the mill said, Oh, I don't work. I got married. Okay. Somebody said, Wait a minute, that's a lot more work than you think it is. Okay, here's the, here's the kicker. She didn't see it as work because she was a newlywed and her love for her husband had made the incessant chores and baby work all worth it. The mundane things were not mundane because she loved her husband. I don't know how long that lasts, but a lot lot of times it begins to wane and that work becomes overbearing and you're for both men and women. And it's like, oh, why am I doing this? What are we doing? Love grows cold. So the question about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where do you stand? Or how about you? Do you have love for the Lord Jesus? Do you have great passion for him? Let's dive into the third right response here. The correctives for them. Look at verse uh, 5. Let's read verse 5 to the end. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here's some corrective measures in verse 5 and the beginning of 7. Right? Pretty easy. There's three R's. Remember. Remember, they had fallen from a glorious summit. It says, you have fallen. You have slid down that slippery slope. Your love has grown cold. You've slipped down that slope. You've slid down that ravine of the mundane. And you need to go back to that peak where you've been. That glorious peak where you can see the Lord Jesus Christ more clearly. They had trudged on, but they had forgotten They need to remember where they were at first. Remember when you first believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you? That's pretty little. And I think there's there's wonderful heights, you know, mountaintops in our relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's dark valleys, whether it's because we have forgotten or we're just going through very 
very difficult times. Remember those mountaintops and press on towards Him in a relationship with Him. So remember, repeat, repent, sorry. Turn from the direction you're going. Confess your sins. Hear the sin of wandering away from their first love. And repeat. Do the deeds, the works. And I believe the works here, these deeds, do them again, is not what he's just talking about that they were doing well. They were doing many good deeds. They were staying solid. They were staying uh, theologically correct. They were engaged in many things. I believe these deeds is walking with Jesus Christ, that relationship with Jesus Christ. The deeds, when you first come into that relationship, all you want to do is spend time with your love, right? When you begin to date someone, remember, anybody remember that a few years ago or uh, quite a few years ago? Right? Did you always want to be together most of the time? Kind of, maybe, right? I did. That's the way it should be with Jesus. Always want to be with him. I always want to spend time in prayer. Always want to be in, his, in the word. Yeah, I'm old, I get lazy and tired, and I, I just don't want to get my Bible out. It's over there on the bench, and I just sat down, right? No. Your love should drive you forward. They need to work on the relationship and their love toward Jesus. And again, I want to ask you, how about you? What are you doing? Are you trudging through the things you think must be done for the Lord? The things of drudgery? Or have you clung to Christ? And there's going to be moments where, ah, oh, why am I doing this? Right? Oh, I just, it just has to be done. But is that the majority or the minority of of your feelings of the times that you're serving the Lord even in the things every day whether it's church related ministry related or not are you doing them for the glory of your Lord so we must we must trudge on but we must have that relationship with Jesus Christ love him and let that passion for him drive you forward and drive our church forward finally we dive into the right eschological vision, our future reward, right? The celebration, verse 7. I read this just a minute ago. And, and, and note verse 7 at the beginning that, okay, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John was able to remember everything that the Lord Jesus had said and through the power of the Holy Spirit is here. And so what the Spirit says to the churches, what Jesus has revealed to them and spoken to them through the Holy Spirit he who has an ear, let him hear. Hey, wake up. This is important. We need to listen. So one of the things when we go back, the things that we should do, the correct is, is here. Listen, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. But now the celebration. Look, we have victory. Victory in Jesus, right? Be warned and hear what the Holy Spirit says. Understand, hey, you have overcome. John 16, 33 says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 5, 4. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that has overcome the world's, our faith. So I believe there's only two groups. There's not a hyper or super or a greater group of believers. Yeah, there's people that are doing better than others. But you're either a believer or you're not. You've either overcome or you have not. So I believe there's only two groups. Those who do not know the Lord and those who do and those who do are overcomers. And here in Revelations, as well as the other passages that I've just mentioned, John 16, 33, 1 John 4, 4, and 1 John 5, 4. You're victors and you have life. These people are victors and they have life. So Revelation 21, 7 says, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Revelation twenty two fourteen, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gate into the city. You know, today we, we are to see as individuals and as a corporate church that we are to press on in sound teaching and thinking, but we are also to continue to grow in our love of the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We are to walk with the Lord daily. I pray that we will be a spirit-filled, spirit-led church following Jesus Christ reflecting his light on a lost and dying world. And so, do you love the Lord Jesus? Are there any correctives in your life that you need to make? And you may wonder, well, that is a long message. There's four-point message with a lot of sub-points. Why communion? Because I think, like the Church of Ephesus, it's a golden time for us to consider where do we stand, where do I stand, And so I'm going to ask the men to come forward. I want, as we hand out the bread, as we hand out the bread, I want you to prayerfully ask the Lord to reveal to you where you stand with Him, how you've been doing specifically in your walk with Him. I'm not talking about, yes, we need to talk about We need to confess any sin in our life. But I also think we overlook the fact, hey, you know, my love for the Lord is growing cold. I have not dedicated time to spend time with him this week at all, let alone each day. And so I want you to pray about that. Where do you stand? Secondly, confessing and confess sin. Most importantly, give him praise for what he's done and recognize Jesus for who he is. Let's pray for the bread. Lord, we thank you for what you have done upon the cross. Lord, that you were even willing to add humanity to walk this earth 
to have no place to rest your head and yet continue to minister to people for many years and willingly be beaten and, and, and hung on the cross, be mocked, be spit upon, and then allow the Father to pour out his wrath upon you, the judgment upon you, that you were willing to take uh, the penalty and to pay for it in, in full as you died upon the cross. We recognize, Lord Jesus, that not only did you live and die, but you rose again, and we see that you have a glorified body, and you are coming again. And we know that you have sent your Holy Spirit to indwell each believer, and so we ask, Lord, that as we, as we celebrate today, that you'd help us to fully realize um, not only your sacrifice, but your greatness. We ask that you would bless this bread as we take it together, and Lord, bind us together as one church family to fulfill the purposes you have prepared for us, the, the works that you've prepared for us beforehand to do. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you willingly were beaten and bruised, but also you shed your blood in the shading of the new covenant. Lord, you were willing to bleed and die, and through your blood there's, there's remission for sins. There's the ability to be forgiven of our sins. Our sins are washed away because of your work on the cross. And we have a new, we have been brought into your church family, or your family, Lord, not not just the assembly family, but your eternal family. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you bless this cup as we take it together. Help us to understand, first and foremost, your great sacrifice, then your greatness, and finally, Lord, the new, new covenant that we're in. Thank you, Jesus. We ask that you bless this cup as we, we take it together. In Jesus' name, amen. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it.
Praise the Lord for what he has done, and I hope your love for him will grow stronger day by day. You know, think about these new EV vehicles, right, electronic vehicles. I probably better not buy one because the battery will go bad right away. So our battery is growing dead too quickly because we do not walk with Jesus, right? I mean, where, are we, where do we get our strength, I guess is the point I was trying to get. Just like our, these new vehicles need batteries, just like our old vehicles needs gasoline, we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, let's take up this, this morning's offering.